and then there is the Grand Couron, which is the big crown, and those are not accessible by metro lines. They're only accessible by RER or Transilien lines, which are bigger trains that go out to larger distances. And there are frequent disruptions in these trains. Yes. Yeah, and it's very frequent. So if you don't commute to work in a direct line, I can understand this like metro boulot do 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 thing can be really challenging and tiring for you. Yeah. yeah. Since the pandemic in 2020, there has been a lot more companies that embraced teletravail yeah. or working from home culture now. And I love it. Me too. I love it so much. Um, and you would think that that would have had some sort of positive impact on the amount of mm-hmm. the sheer mass of people that are coming into the city on any given day, but it doesn't actually seem to have made that much of a difference. Yeah, I think it's also because of the fact like everybody's calling everyone back to the office right now. I mean, French companies have never been that open to the idea of working from home. And it's also important to mention that both of us work for global companies uh, that allow us to have that flexibility around working from home. But yeah, it's true that the rush hour still feels very dense when we commute to work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I always use the metro, but obviously there are other options. Like you spoke about the RER and the Transilien mm-hmm. for the people who live um, on the kind of outer Paris. Yeah. Um, but those who still live within the arrondissements of Paris, there's always the option of driving. But who on earth would want to do that? Because yeah. like the roads are just crazy uh, any time in the morning. It's jammed. Everywhere. And then also because Paris has put in place so many new cycle lanes and yeah. cycle paths um, there's so many more people who are using trottinettes and bikes now to get to and from work that's true so that's generally how people get to work but <laughs> what happens after work well that actually happens so you leave your office and if you're working somewhere in Paris there's always somewhere to go for drinks yeah. um, and this after work culture is obviously very popular a lot of the bars in, the a- mm-hmm. in many areas will do a half hour between 4 and 8 yeah. so everyone would go there get some cheap pints you get some cheap cocktails and it's a it's a vibe some nights are busier than other nights but you know if you've made it all the way into your office in this horrible like public transportation system you might want to delay having to get back into it to make your <laughs> to way home avoid the rush yeah, hour. to avoid yeah, the rush hour true. and make your way home again so why not just sit and have a cold one while mm-hmm. you're waiting for all the crowds to disperse but unfortunately again everyone has the same idea so <laughs> so it's just it's just busy everywhere again yeah but i think like you would not go for unless you had a really really bad day you would not go out for pints or a glass of wine on a month Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. It usually starts like on a Thursday or Friday, I would say. Challenge accepted. Like, <laughs> who said you can't go for bites on a Monday? <laughs> I would. <laughs> but yeah, still, like, unless uh, people are cheeky like us, and <laughs> they usually leave the after work to Thursdays. And I think it's also related to the fact that if you're a student here, I heard that majority of the universities actually don't have classes on Thursday afternoon. Okay. So uh, Thursday evenings are dedicated to student events like Erasmus nights or those uh, um, cheaper student events. That's when Paris starts to get uh, moving around, yeah. bustling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The Thursday nights are are hella busy everywhere and then also bear in mind that if companies are offering teletravail as well then there might be quite a lot of people who don't actually have to go to the office on a Friday and maybe they take a little bit of advantage of that and yeah, yeah Thursday yeah it's a bouge. 
But yeah, as of Friday, Friday afternoon, that's when Paris gets really vibrant and all these events start happening and weekends are my favourite part about Paris. You're right, there is so much to do here, so many options and at the weekend Paris is wide open. Exhibitions, cinema, gigs, some of the most famous museums in the whole world, you can just go and visit those if you want to. Walk around Paris, just just be in the city and just enjoy the weekend vibe. Go out shopping if you want, go to like Galleries Lafayette and spend too much money if you want to. <laughs> exactly, and also the fact that there are all these activities that you have to pay for, obviously, yeah. but there's so much free stuff to do. When I first came here, one of the sites, websites that I followed religiously was Sortie à Paris. Where they list all the events, and then it really like if you have a child, if you're single, if you like drinking, if you don't like drinking, like there is again, I I keep saying this, there's so much stuff to do, and it's always a good motivation to get you out of your place and just merge into the city. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but you know, it's not all fun and games in the mm. um, during the weekends. I mean, like if you have been doing the commute like all week then you know you're going to have to do some errands you're going to have to yeah. um, you know maybe take your stuff to the laundrette for example which is something I did for the first time um, a few years ago <laughs> I, was he- I was hella confused as to how I'd never used a laundrette before but that was my Saturday I actually have a little confession I did not have a washing washing machine at my place up until a year and a half ago when I moved into my bigger apartment Okay. so doing the laundry over the weekend was obviously one of my main (laughs) activities but here what I also observe I think it's also related to the fact that the stores close earlier like any supermarket it closes around like 9pm so what is really happening in Saturday mornings that people are really doing their errands and now even though I'm not as much into that rat race anymore thanks to the flexibility of my job, I go to the far- farmer's market to buy the seasonal veggies, fruits um, uh, and stuff. And I, I really allocate my Saturday mornings to that. Right, okay. Yeah, it's like, it's, I guess it's nice to like do a, a little bit of chores, be a little bit more domestic. I know you and your partner enjoy cooking together for like yeah. quite a, lot, a large part of the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, my Saturday morning, I, I don't usually, I, I don't go to markets. I, I, there isn't mm. really a market in the Kremlin. I think there's one maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday, which is further down towards Villejuif, oh, okay. which I've never really checked out. Um, so Saturdays for me would probably be like up early, get a coffee, and then I would go do some sport. I would go to the climbing gym, which is oh, just like yeah. about five minutes away from my, my place. And then I would go home and do like all the boring chores and stuff leaving me a full afternoon free to do all of these wonderful things that we're talking about that are so available to us. There is, I don't, I guess it's not typical Parisian, but there is this culture of weekend getaways because it's so central and well connected with the fast train lines. Mm. I had a friend once who I asked him, what's your favourite thing about living in Paris? And he said, getting the fuck out of Paris. (laughs) (laughs) I think I know who that person is. But this is related to the fact the majority of the people who live here are not real Parisians. They are not born and bred here. So they come from abroad or they come from the other regions of France and they use the weekends. We use the weekends to yeah. get away to see family or friends living outside of Paris. Yeah, absolutely. I just recently just came back from Angers. That was my first time in Angers. That was a really short trip. I was very surprised by how close it was. Oh, how many um, hours in train? An hour and a half. 
That's really nice. Yeah. I think we should mention TGV, the fast train, is really fast. It's really good connected. Yeah. Grand Vitesse. Yeah, the Grand Vitesse. <laughs> that's what it means. Yes. <laughs> Literally, TGV means yeah. fast train. Yes, it means pretty fast train. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, these, these little cities are so accessible. And you're right, if... If you're living in Paris but you come maybe from Lille, I have some friends from there, we both have mutual friends who come from Rennes, um, mm-hmm. they would take that time to be able to go back home and see their family and just kind of have a, a bit of a slower pace of life just for even a weekend. Although, I mean, like, when you listen to us talk here about, like, the Parisian days and weekdays, I guess it could resonate with anyone who lives in a big metropolitan city. Should we maybe try to narrow it down to what makes Parisian life, like, a bit more different than any other metropolitan city? Because for me, one major thing that comes into mind is the eating up culture here. Yeah what I think of is the well the terrace culture yeah um, all of these brasseries I read somewhere that if you wanted to eat and dr- eat or drink in every brasserie in Paris it would take you something like 27 years to, to, <laughs> really? do, to do all of them I'm not um, surprised at all <laughs> like how, I don't know how, who collected that data I don't know what that math was based on um, but terraces in Paris for me is ubiquitous even at like eight o'clock in the morning, you can see someone on a terrace yeah. outside a outside a PMU. All the way through lunchtime, these terraces like fill yeah, up, full, full Very all the time. Fun. And then obviously we're talking about um, after works, mm-hmm. terraces jammed all the time. And I really like the terrace culture. I like that you can sit out in the open and you're just on the pavement and you can people watch yeah. um, if you're lucky you can find a terrace that's not on a main road because if it's on a main road it yeah, is, it's, it's very loud yeah it's loud there's klaxons there's sirens there's just people on the street everywhere um, so if you if you try and find a terrace try and make sure it's somewhere off of the main road and it's mm-hmm. actually just a lovely thing to do and I really love the fact that's the first time I saw it in anywhere in the world that the chairs are seated like placed next to each other mm. so instead of sitting across the table and facing the person that you're seated with you actually face the street and people watch yes just like what you said yeah I think it's also important to talk about how it was traditionally and how it's changing now so a brasserie is usually a traditional French uh, restaurant but it's more like a cafe something between a restaurant and a cafe and they used to have these like traditional penguin waiters and that's why a lot of people resonate that kind of um, service uh, with the brasseries but it's changing uh, recently so you don't see unless you go to a really really traditional one you don't see these penguin waiters anymore and you also have a better variety of like vegan vegetarian friendly uh, choices of food uh, because when I first arrived here in 2013 still it was challenging to find anything vegan vegetarian or even that is not something French in a brasserie and I think now there are more variety of choices yeah I quite like that though. I quite like that they would have stuck to their tradition and said, no, if you're going to eat in a, in a Parisian brasserie, then you eat like French foods. And it's, um, I like that that tradition is still being upheld. Yeah, that's true. But what do you think about like the cliche of uh, Parisian waiters being rude? Oh, um, I think it is a cliche. So a few years ago, I came here on holiday and I went to a restaurant in the, I think it was in the 19th, somewhere mm-hmm. near Montmartre. This, this restaurant was 
like absolutely French. It was like French writing on the walls, French menus and everything. So I didn't really, I couldn't really understand the menu to be honest. Oh, okay. So I was reading through this menu and I and I was a bit lost. So I asked the waiter, "Could you help me with mm-hmm. the?" And he pointed at the menu and he said, "That's your starter, that's your main dish, and that's your dessert." And walked off. But didn't actually tell me what any of the stuff was, hmm. so I was a bit like, oh man. And also in this restaurant, we were we were sat really close together, like kind of jammed into this mm-hmm. little room. So there's this couple sitting right next to me, um, and I left. Yeah, I was with someone at the time, and we decided actually no, we can't stay mm-hmm. here. <clears throat> Not only because of the way that this guy just spoke to me and was extremely unhelpful, but also because of how uncomfortable I was next to these two people who'd who'd seen this awkward exchange happen. Ah, okay. So this was like a really long time ago, and you know I came away from that experience thinking, man, I was in Paris and that waiter was rude to me. How cool and cliche, you know? Like, <laughs> are you even in Paris if the waiters aren't rude to you? But I've, I, you know, I I kind of changed my mind a little mm-hmm. on that now. When I first came here, I would speak French to the waiter. Mm-hmm. The waiter would obviously hear like an, an accent, and more often than not, would answer me in English. Mm-mm. Now this used to really frustrate me, and yeah, I me think too. yeah, and I think it frustrates a lot of people to kind of to, to, to be like, how rude? Why would this person answer me in English? Why is this effort not being reciprocated, and they're not responding to me in French? But ultimately, when you think about how busy these places are, yeah, and how much work these guys are doing all the time. They're not really there to pander to you. They're not yeah. there to just make you feel comfortable and say they've got a job to do. And if they can do it more efficiently by speaking English, then let them speak English and don't take it personally. Yeah. No, honestly, because like they're not your language exchange buddy. They just mm. want to be efficient. They just want to get your order in and be done with their day. And they're working on minimum wage. And tipping, unfortunately, is not a culture here. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of tourists who are asking about this before they come here. Like, should I tip? Mm. So it's not like the states. If they did not get the tips, they're not gonna starve because they still have their minimum wage. But it's still a very, very challenging job. Absolutely. So, like, if I, if I like the place, if I like the environment, if I like the person, I mean, they're not. It's not a circus. They don't need to perform for me. Yeah. But I still tend to tip a euro or two whenever I'm happy. Also, here uh, it's a bit different. And for example, in Turkey, when you go to a restaurant, a majority of the time, unless it's like this new hype restaurant in Istanbul, you don't need to reserve. Here, reservation is a culture. Again, in Turkey or in New York, maybe you just go in and you just go sit down. Whereas here, you wait to be seated, and you need to like say bonjour. That's always the good start, bonjour. And if you're not French, if you don't know French, you can just say bonjour. Do you speak English? Mm. To begin with, right? Yeah. To begin that little conversation. If you just go in and say without even saying bonjour, it comes off a little bit as rude. So. Yeah. You know, that's not just exclusive to restaurants either. Like any shop you go into, it's it's yeah. very customary and polite to say hello to the person who's behind the the counter or the case or the person who's standing at the door. Like you walk into a doctor's office and there's people waiting there, you say bonjour to the whole room. If you get in a lift and there's people yeah. in a lift, you say bonjour to everybody <laughs> in the lift. And then when you leave, 
you say bonjourly or bonsoiré or something, but you always, always acknowledge the people who are in the same space as you, and I really like that. Yeah, me too, and you actually stole that thought from my head because I was thinking exactly the same thing, and I, I had difficulty adjusting to it, and I think the whatever rule or the custom around it is that as long as you're in an indoor space, you say it, but you don't walk around on streets of Paris saying bonjour to everyone, right? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I want to mention about eating out is the concept of bouillon, which I really like. So bouillon is uh, basically to serve like traditional uh, French food uh, at a fast pace and an affordable price. And there are many in Paris, like Bouillon Chartier, Julien, République, Pigalle. If you want, really want to get a, like a traditional French uh, cuisine, eating out experience with the penguin waiters and all, I totally suggest going to one of these bouillons. I would certainly avoid any restaurant uh, around like Champs-Élysées, mm, yeah. uh, the little streets of like Saint-Michel or on uh, Place du Terre where all the artists are in uh, painting uh, portraits. In Montmartre? Yes, yes. in Montmartre. Uh, I mean, you can of course go there and uh, get your portrait <laughs> drawn, I mean, support the local artists, right? But I'd avoid the restaurants in these places. I guess uh, I would say one thing that I would never do again is that I've done when I first came here. I've eaten on a lot of these restaurants. I would never again go to a tourist trap restaurant. Which makes me think, Kelly, what is one thing that you did when you first came to Paris and you would never do again? Um, that's an easy answer. I would have to say the bateau mouche. Ah, why? Um, so the, the, the bateau mouche, for anyone who doesn't know what it is, is a, a huge big barge that goes really slowly along the Seine and there's like a there's like a recorded voice telling you what's on either bank and you go all the way down to mm -hmm. the Ile de la City and all and then back again to the Eiffel Tower. Um, the reason I wouldn't do it again um, is, actually, is actually super personal, it's because I was so hungover that I literally could not stand up on this boat and it was and it was filled with um, obviously it was filled with tourists it's, it's one of the most touristic things to do in the city is going on the battle mush everyone wants to do everyone wants to see the Eiffel Tower from the river and I don't blame them it's beautiful but I will I will never do it again um, I didn't think I was ever going to get off that boat and I, I, I did guys it's okay um, the other thing that I wouldn't do would be um, Tour Montparnasse uh, so yeah. I went to the top of Tour Montparnasse. There's a there's a express lift that takes you all the way to the top. I don't even know how many floors it is. Um, there's a lot of floors. It's like thirty the, something, no, yeah, maybe even more. It's like the it's like the second highest structure in Paris. Yeah. Um, and this this lift just whizzes you all the way up to the top. And then I'm not going to deny the view is absolutely spectacular. But yeah, I gorgeous. had um, hella vertigo, and I felt really unsafe and unsteady up there again these are two really personal reasons why I wouldn't do these things again absolutely if you want to experience them for yourself then by all means there, there are there are reasons to do these but for me personally mm. never again I'm totally on the same page with you on Tour Montparnasse it's overpriced uh, really really bad cocktails so yeah it's I don't think it's worth it but Batomosh if you're a tourist I guess if you're not hungover like Kelly, <laughs> you can do it. You know, the, the, but one thing I do like about the Bateau Mouche is actually when I'm on the banks of the Seine. Yeah. You know, and you can sit there for an afternoon and the Bateau Mouche passes by and you can wave at all the tourists. All the tourists wave at you. It's so cute. That I do love about the Bateau Mouche. <laughs> I just don't want to be on it. 
Um, but anyway, I really wanted us to revisit the concept of bobo, like because it says a lot about um, it's a big part yes. of the Parisian culture now, and there are many contradictory thoughts around mm. this kind of people or kind of living. We do talk about it um, in the previous episode. So bobo means uh, bourgeois bohemian, and it's a term coined by David Brooks in his book uh, Bobos in Paradise, which was published in 2000. So he describes Bobos as highly educated folks who have one foot in the bohemian world of creativity and another foot in the bourgeois realm of ambition and worldly success. Okay. So let me take you back a little bit to early 1800s when the aristocracy was replaced by the bourgeoisie. And this is right around the time Osman started his works on the gentrification of the city. Okay. So it's very much uh, connected and collateral when you come to think about it historically and it's really much in the history and imprinted on the city life. And I guess what we can say in English, it can more or less translate to a hipster. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's what I've been trying to say all along. <laughs> I mean, I don't identify as a bobo, but I guess if I'm to give myself an honest critique, perhaps I am one. Uh, I mean, I really like going out to eat at like casual, not chic, um, cozy international restaurants. I appreciate the works of like international contemporary artists. Anything that's opposite of traditional French basically speaks well to me. So I highly, highly enjoy getting myself soaked into this uh, diverse culture of the city and how the city fusions it with a little tiny bit of French touch. Yeah. But I'm still making sure I make a good living, I earn good salary, not yet, but still I'm trying. And all these places that I like to hang out at, their target audience is not really the worker class. So at least the price range, I mean, doesn't really make it, right? So, although the gentrification of Paris has its roots like all the way back in the 1800s, since the 1960s, a specific form of gentrification is actually happening in Paris and extending the Paris livable areas to traditionally working class parts of the city. And those are the parts of the city where I actually like to hang out at. But yeah, that's me. But before I go into my favorite places to hang out in Paris, what are yours, Kelly? Like, I, I, I kind of don't know where you like to hang out. <laughs> my favorite area to hang out is usually like either the 13th mm -hmm. or the 5th and where those things join. Um, I say hang out, like, you know, there's a, there's a few bars and stuff that I enjoy going there mm -hmm. that I would often go to. But the 5th, I think, is one of my favorite arrondissements for, um, for sure. Pretty. It's really pretty. You have the Sorbonne University and you have the Latin Quarter, which leads mm -hmm. to Jardin de Luxembourg, where we've recorded before. And if you continue walking past the Pantheon, behind there you come to Rue Mouffetard. Ah, uh, where the students like to hang out. Yeah. Um, Rue Mouffetard is actually one of the most charming little streets in the whole, well, in my opinion, in the whole city. So you have at the top of it Place Contrescarpe, mm -hmm. which sits and there's like some um, terraces and some bars around the fountain. There's often some live music at that fountain as well. Yeah. And then when you descend down the hill, you come to all of these little um, poissonniers and the boulangerie and all these little charming sort of outlets. Now, the first time I was ever on Room of Tower was with a person that I met um, to practice my French with. Ah. And I had never been here before. And we were walking towards Room of Tower. And then he turned to me and he said, 
did you know there's a witch here? Ah. And he said he said this to me in French, so I thought I'd misheard him. And, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, the sorcerer. Est-ce que tu connais le sorcier? And, I, and I, I, do you know the, do you know about the witch? And I thought this guy's crazy. Like why, why is he asking me this? Um, but what it was centuries ago, there was an author that lived there, and while all of the merchants and people who were running the commerce mm-hmm. on the street, all their children would come to this author, and the author would take down all of their stories and allow the children to make up all of these fantastical stories for themselves. And there is actually a book published called The Sorcerer de Rumouftar. Ah, I should read that book. Yes, it's a children's book and it's so cute. And the other thing is the guy had a copy of it with him and he gave it to me on the street where we were standing. Such a sweet memory. It was so lovely. And this was the first time I'd met him. And this was just something he, and he said, this is a kid's book and this is going to help you with some vocabulary. So help you. And he wasn't wrong. It's a, such a sweet, charming little book and I love that story. And because of that memory I have of the first time being on Room of Tar, it yeah. is still by far one of my favourite places in the city. Oh, I can get that. And then I guess my other sort of favourite area, again, I don't hang out here that often, but I do enjoy it when I'm there, mm-hmm. would be Pigalle. Um, now, there's a really fine line between Pigalle and Montmartre, and I'm not quite sure where the line is. I think it's in between Anvers and Pigalle Metro. It's somewhere on that line. Yeah, I really like it. Again, there's a there's a bit of a vibe to it. There's lots of sex shops, lots of live sex shows, very lit up. The Moulin Rouge is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's just, it's just about the vibe. It doesn't feel particularly safe, but it doesn't feel particularly dangerous either. No, so, um, no. but there's a I, lot of clubs to hang out to go for like gigs and stuff as well. Yeah, lots of good gig venues around about Pigalle as well. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to hang out a lot on Rue du Faubourg Saint Denis, mm-hmm. and you know we just talked about gentrification and the bubbles and everything. And I, when I looked into gentrification of Paris, I wanted to study it a little bit before this episode. That street is literally the main common point on most of the academic articles. But I just love the street. It's this big street that starts with La Porte Saint-Denis, which is another Arc de Triomphe mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't torn down and goes all the way up north to La Chapelle. And it's right between Gare du Nord and Gare de l'Est. And it's this amazing place with mix of cultures, restaurants, shops owned by... Chinese, Turkish, African, Kurdish, Indian, Pakistani, you name it, I say it. All these nationalities come together. And there's this little passage that I really like and I think we should go for a visit because it has really good uh, Indian and Pakistani restaurants apparently. Okay. And it's called Passage Bradi. Uh, and it, it, it has the ceiling that has lights coming in, so part of the passage is closed, part of it is open, and right across it is Chez Janet, which is a very well-known bar, and I have to admit that I've lost counts of how many dates I had there. <laughs> that was my date bar. <laughs> and there is also Corps de Petite Écurie, which is like this, again, it's not a passage, it looks like one, but it's filled with restaurants and bars. And the, the, that street is very loud, but this little Corps uh, is more calm, but still buzzing, I'd say. And if you walk towards west, when you leave uh, Rue Faubourg de Saint-Denis, there's the Rex Club, which I used to go a lot, pretty often. And on Thursdays, they used to do Erasmus nights. <laughs> Is that the, the Grand Rex? It's, it's, like, it's got the, the very tall facades. 
with the big words Rex yes. on it? Yes. Yes. Okay. So yes. it is that club. Yeah. yeah. I am. Um, I've been to a gig there once, and it was one of the best gigs I've been uh, yeah. to in Paris. Yeah. I saw Mogwai there. It was great. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a great venue. It's a great venue. And uh, if you walk the opposite direction towards east, you pass through Chateau d'Eau. Uh, which is a small African neighborhood, but like African uh, grocery shops and hairdressers. And then if you keep walking, you come to Place de la République. Uh, and if you keep walking a little bit more north, then there is the Canal Saint-Martin, uh, a lovely place to hang out, yeah. drinking, yeah. Um, buy this canal or little restaurants and uh, bars around it. Yeah, there's such a good vibe. On, on a night like tonight, the banks of Canal Saint-Martin will be like buzzing. It's, it's, a, it's a great little area. Yeah. yeah, and I used to live like two minutes from there in Rue Faubourg de Tamp. And like you said, it's it's a buzzing, bubble life uh, neighborhood. And unfortunately, one of the reasons uh, of the Paris attacks that happened in November 13, 2015, uh, they attacked these kind of places and that was one of them. I wasn't living there back then, uh, but they started the shootings in Rue Fontaine-Roi, which is the street behind the building that I used to live in and attack La Bombière and I love this bar I know some of the waiters there I used to get like takeout I don't like takeout food but I used to get it during the uh, pandemic just to support their business and I still go every now and then and I kind of like want to continue to walk our listeners up to Belleville but I'm gonna stop here because this neighborhood really gets me going sorry yeah well, yeah, I guess like you'd fit right into that sort of bobo sort of um, neighbourhood, judging by like your your style and how you dress, and there is a Parisian yeah, chic look. look, and there's also like the absolute French cliche of what people think Parisian people actually wear and look like, <laughs> and we've already mentioned the penguin waiters, and yeah, that is actually a bit of a cliche. So, I also notice a third style. Oh, Which, what is it? Tourist style. <laughs> I did not see that coming, and it's so good. <laughs> but yeah. it's but it's not that they would have cameras or maps or cargo shorts. But the reason why I can spot them is usually women. Um, if you're uh, if sitting on a terrace somewhere, you people watch, and you can see women dressed and they have the most beautiful evening gown on, and they have really high heels on. Parisian women do not dress no, like that. You cannot survive in Paris in high heels. I dropped high heels 10 years ago. I used to wear them in Istanbul and in Turkey, but no, it's just not. The, this is such a walkable city. You just cannot walk on the on the sidewalks with the high heels on. And for me, it's so good because I'm a trainer's girl. I always mm-hmm. have been. I always wear flats. I'm relatively tall for a woman, so I've always <laughs> got a pair of Converse on. And you can wear it with a little cute dress or you can wear it with like a long dress and it still looks actually quite chic. And also going to a bar at night, it's entirely acceptable just to wear a pair of white trainers um, yeah. with a dress. Yeah, and back in the day, like when I first came here in 2009, there were some sort of nightclubs where you couldn't get in if you had uh, trainers on. Like they would check your shoes and be like, nope, you're not coming in. And that completely changed. Yeah, definitely. And colors, I would say, like in Turkey, I was putting on a lot more colors like purple, pink, bright colors. Here, uh, you don't really stand out. I'm not an expert in fashion, but I think it's called like French effortless chic. Mm. And I actually very much like that style, but 
I don't think I can copy it because there's still that part of me, which is, I guess that's why I'm a bubble. <laughs> Just a little bit different from that effortless chic. Yeah, I I like the laid back Parisian effortless mm. chic look. Jeans, a coat and an infinity scarf. And don't forget your cigarette on the terrace. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> your cigarette and your sunglasses on trench coat. And talking about cliches, Today, here in front of the Eiffel Tower, we wanted to put on the striped French uh, shirts. I did not own one. I bought it at the market <laughs> for three euros this weekend just for this episode because we wanted to take photos of looking like classic French. Yeah, I'm ashamed. I, I, I did own this already. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't a special purchase. But at the same time, when I was on my way here on the metro, I was like, this is a costume for tonight guys I, I I don't want to I don't want to wear a stripy top as a as a cliche and I felt like I was really standing out yeah and um, we put on red, red lipstick on we both wanted to think of uh, putting on berets but neither of us own one <laughs> and I looked at Monoprix it was 40 freaking euros I'm not paying that money for something I'm never gonna put on yeah I found one and it was blue but it was a French rugby team blue oh. uh, with the French rugby team logo yeah, on the front the of it it's rugby season right now yeah and it was like 17 euro and I was the same I was like absolutely not not even for a joke am I going to buy that <laughs> the, um, the Eiffel Tower is sparkling now it's what are we we're at 9 o'clock at night on the hour yes it's at every top of the hour as soon as the sun sets and it goes on for 5 minutes I think for 5 minutes yeah it's so pretty. It looks so pretty. It, it does. It does feel quite special to see it. Like it, it blows always, my mind yeah. every time I see it. I've been here over a decade, and I'm not gonna get sick of seeing this side. I'm not gonna come here and watch it every night, but yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It sparkles with the spotlight, like him um, shining out as well. Yeah, and for uh, for anyone who comes here, I always put this like on a top list: something to do in Paris. Do this. Yeah. One night do this. Yeah. You don't have to be in this park. You can be anywhere. This park is obviously super pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I recommend this park actually. This is the best view you'll get on this um, on this tower for sure. Anyways, the, the, I just wanted to say, like, we're here right in front of the Eiffel Tower. We saw it sparkle. It's so pretty. And I tend to forget, like, we live in the freaking city of lights. Whenever I come in the central city, when we see uh, Louvre, the sand, the bridges, Pont Alexandre III, which is a beautiful bridge, it's just, I feel like living outside of the center, we tend to forget what makes the city so pretty and I just wanted to like appreciate in front of everyone how beautiful the city is once again. I couldn't agree more it's so easy to forget but yet it's so easy to be reminded sometimes when you just see something like this on your not quite on your doorstep but mm -hmm. it's so accessible to us and yeah it's really quite lovely. Do we have a quote today Delara? Of course we do. Mm -hmm. It's from this uh, French author and dramatist from uh, 19th century. Uh, his name is Alexandre Dumas. Oh, Alexandre. He wrote The Count of Monte Cristo. That's like one of my favorite ah, books. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's a good book. Yeah. Um, he said, God invented Parisians so that foreigners would never understand the French. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of witty. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Do you yeah. agree? Um, Yes. 
I do agree. Um, it's it's a special city. The people are special, and um, yeah, you you'll never get to know the real France if you just stay in Paris. Mm -hmm. And I think that quote captures that quite well. Yeah, and what I found interesting about it is that I thought this criticism around Paris, Parisians, it being a cliché, uh, was quite recent. And now that I see someone from uh, 1800s also said that, it goes a long way <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Presque Parisienne. Uh, as usual, you are more than welcome to send us an email or throw us a follow on Instagram and leave us some comments. We would really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate you listening to us and um, we'll see you for the next episode. A la prochaine! Ciao! Ciao.